Welcome to Never Again is Now, a podcast about anti-Semitism. Now that we are close to International Holocaust Remembrance Day, we will talk about the exhibition of original objects from the extermination camp Auschwitz, where more than one million people, mostly Jews and also Poles, Roma, Soviet prisoners of war and other Europeans were tragically murdered. Auschwitz was liberated on January 27, 1945, by the Soviet Red Army. I'm Evelyn Marcus, and in addition to being a psychologist, I'm featured in the documentary about anti-Semitism, Never Again is Now. I am a Dutch Jew and the daughter of Holocaust survivors. In 2006, I emigrated to the United States because of the rising anti-Semitism in Europe. I am Phyllis Zembler-Miller, the founder of the free nonfiction Holocaust theater project, ThinEdgeOfTheWedge.com. I grew up in the Midwest in a city, Elgin, Illinois, not a Jewish Holocaust uh, survivor community, but one in which our parents and grandparents had come at the turn of the 20th century to flee the czar and other programs. And yet in September, 1970, my US Army officer husband and I were stationed in Munich, Germany, and this changed our lives forever. Luis Ferrero is the CEO of the traveling exhibition company Musealia, based in Spain, and the director of the Auschwitz Not Long Ago, Not Far Away exhibition, produced together with the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum. <clears throat> he conceived the exhibition in 2009 and continues to lead the project as director in its current international tour. The tour brings the story of Auschwitz and its historical repercussions to new audiences. The exhibition also displays for the first time a large collection of original objects from the extermination camp. He's the co-editor of the book Auschwitz, Not Long Ago, Not Far Away, the official exhibition catalog. The uni this unique exhibition is now in Malmö, Sweden, through January 29, and will be opening March 24 at the Ronald Reagan Library in Los Angeles. In June 2021, <clears throat> Louis Ferreira, Luis Ferreira received the highest recognition granted by the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum, the Light of Remembrance Award in consideration for his outstanding contribution to the education about Auschwitz and the Holocaust. Luis, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank you both very much, Phyllis and Evelyn. It's an honor to be speaking with you, and I'm very much looking forward to, to this conversation. Excellent. First, can you tell us a little about your background and why did you conceive of this exhibit? Yes, so um, so Musealia is a company, as you stated, that creates exhibition, and we were founded uh, 23 years ago, and it was basically a small company, a family business. It was my parents and a few friends and investors that created the the exhibition, and we uh, we started by having a very small photographic exhibition about Titanic, and with this exhibition, we were touring in Spain in different cities, in different museums. Um, 
from the science city in Granada to the Maritime Museum in Barcelona, the Science Museum in La Coruña. And then in 2007, we were uh, in Valencia with this exhibition at the, at the City of Science and Industry. And we were going to be there for one year uh, with the exhibition. And, um, and then basically it was my family working in the, in the exhibit. We, we used to say that we were like a monster with four heads. And it was obviously my parents, my brother and I. And he was just basically... Uh, almost one year uh, older than than I am. So this was in 2008, and um, my brother just suddenly died of a um, sudden death. We call it in Spanish, like a like a you know a terrible heart attack, and in in one second, basically, um, he was he was gone. And this was devastating for the uh, for the family, of course. It was devastating for the company because we had created so much together and we were working together and um, almost one year later I was given it was in April it was my birthday I was turning 25 or or 26 and uh, and I got as a present this book called Man in Search of Meaning by Viktor Frankl and although in the beginning I was quite reluctant to to read it I didn't feel in the mood to um, to go through it uh, that summer of 2009, I just started to, you know, read the first page and a couple of pages. And as you may know, it's a fairly slim book. It's less than 200. Yes, it's 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 actually not a very long book. And it and the way that um, Viktor Frankl explains his experience of being uh, deported to different concentration camps and the way he describes in quite a scientific way the different stages of um, that somebody in its mind goes when they are in this concentration camp. Um, suddenly, the, the the immediate first reaction when closing the book and finishing was doing an exhibition about Auschwitz in, in the same way that he was sort of taking uh, readers through the um, through these different psychological uh, stages. Uh, and uh, I, I guess if I had been involved in making movies or in writing books or in doing musicals or whatever, uh, I would have tried to to do something different. But of course, what we were doing as a family, uh, as a living, was creating exhibitions. So that was the immediate reaction, was to do something. And of course, um, because of the situation of, of my brother, uh, you know, it, it all became sort of very personal, and this book came in, in a way because of his uh, of his uh, passing away. Um, and so, so the idea was in two thousand in the summer of two thousand and nine, we opened the exhibition in December twenty seventeen. So it was a very long journey, more than eight years of basically having this idea. Of trying to uh, to do it and um, and then all the journey of, of finding the right historians and experts and educators and of reaching out to the museum in Poland and explaining them who we were and why we wanted to do an exhibition about Auschwitz and of course we didn't have any kind of Holocaust background in education or or you know we were not part of the um, of the uh, field or the community that had been working on the Holocaust study so. It was a very long process, uh, but it was for me, of course, uh, also a very personal uh, experience to go through all this process, to to meet all these people, to meet different survivors, relatives, 
of survivors to understand their stories, to to find and to work with our historians in the museum to create the exhibition and the very complex narrative um, that we, we we tried to explain in in the exhibition and um, and then we opened in Madrid. We took it to New York. COVID hit. Uh, then we went to Kansas City, uh, and now we are in Malmo, and hopefully in a few months we will be um, opening in, in California. So um, it, it has been a very personal journey, and I still now, when I think of it uh, and the story and how how the idea came of, of creating the exhibition, I still get, of course, emotional uh, about everything. So it's a, um, it's a special uh, story for 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 those who have been in, in the site of creating the exhibition. Can I ask you one question? You don't have any Jewish um, history in your in your family that you know of. Not a Morano no. family, not, is that correct? That's right. It is correct. Um, we, we, we don't, uh, as you know, of course, in the case of Spain uh, in, in 1492, uh, the, the, the Jews were expelled. Um, some, of course, converted uh, and and there is of course this possibility that uh generations and generations we could trace back to probably uh, some jewish origins but uh, not that i am aware of uh, uh so um yeah and and did the holocaust figure did you learn it in school or I, i'm interested in I, now we have to move on to the next question someone gave you this book they must have thought that there was I think that the the power of this book is that somehow it has been also able in many ways to help people nowadays that are in a very different situation uh, to those who were in the in the camps during second world war but that are still now in need of um, of, of of help and in in my case of course it just gave me also kind of a mission, something to fight for, something to create, something that was more important than oneself, something that was important for, you know, for history and and, and just it was the right thing to do. So, um, but uh, of course I knew about the Holocaust. I had read about the Holocaust at school in Spain. Uh, nowadays, maybe a little bit more, but in my case, um, in the early 2000s, well, I was in the 90s, of course, at school and then in college in early uh, 2000s it was not uh, something that was studied in 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 deepness uh, now of course uh when i read the book and uh, i was i i needed to read all these books one of the first things that i did with uh, robert jan pantel and with michael Birnbaum is i asked can you please send me a list of the books i need to read to uh to you know to uh to, to understand fully the story and be able to work in this in this project and how do we how do we create a narrative with with your knowledge that works in an exhibition and uh, you know I, I still have it somewhere here and it was a long list of 20 to the five books and uh, you know I was just reading one after the other and uh, I I read most of these books before actually visiting Auschwitz for the first time I've been now. On, on on countless occasions to to Auschwitz, um, but um, I remember reading Primo Levi, and one night just being you know closing the book and and feeling so grateful that I had a warm bed and uh, you know a house and that I lived in a state of uh, where the law of 
existed and there was a democracy. There, there are many moments through this journey that um, became very special in my life experience. Um, so, yeah, as a psychologist, I I can confirm that the book of Viktor Frankl that he wrote based on his experiences in, um, in the concentration camp um, has a wide application uh, for people um, who are suffering from, from, from situations um, in their lives. Um, could you please uh, mention the title again? Man in Search of Meaning, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know the, I read it in Spanish. That's I don't know the, the, that's the English, English translation. Uh, and of course, this concept of meaning, right? In a, in a moment where you're grieving and, and um, yeah, it was a very powerful book to, to read. And sometimes it's, it's, it's funny because sometimes you recommend a book that has been so powerful to you and you recommend it to somebody else and they read it and maybe it doesn't have that impact. And I think it has to do also, of course, a lot with what kind of situations you are living in, in, in those particular moments. Yeah, yeah. Luis, what, what if we look at, at the exhibition, what is it people get to see in the exhibition? So they, they get to see a lot, but I hope that they get to understand more. So in terms of just seeing, what we do is for the first time ever, uh, we display a large collection of original artifacts that come directly from the Augsburg Canal State Museum. Not only that, and these are more than 400, so it's it's really a vast collection of artifacts that we display from, from them. But we also have artifacts from USHMM, from Jad Vashem, from uh, Sachsenhausen, uh, from uh, Hartheim Castle, from more than 20 different um, institutions, museums, private collections, survi survivors and relatives of survivors uh, who, uh, who basically loan us these artifacts so that people can connect with a particular story um, so, so this is, of course, in terms of seeing an exhibition of a museum is about seeing artifacts, and we do that. But we also believe that the most important thing in in an artifact and in an exhibition is not so much what we see, but what we know about the artifact. And each each object has its own historical echo, and we we allow the artifact to speak by itself and have a conversation with visitors and. And they are so powerful, of course, because the story they have to tell is so meaningful that um, we always usually say that it, it's an exhibition to see more with the heart and with the brain than with the eyes. Um, but basically, we try to explain a monographic story of how we try to, to unfold a very complex story in a narrative that explores Auschwitz both as a location, as a, as a site, the camp, also the town of Ospinchem and Auschwitz, um, but also, of course, Auschwitz as a symbol, as a metaphor for, uh, for human barbarism and, and, and to explain the Holocaust and the process of extermination of the Jewish uh, people um, in the Second World War. Could you give us one example, please, of, of what we will see in the exhibition and what it will tell us? So most of these artifacts, uh, we always try to display artifacts that are basically connected with some stories and with some personal stories, because in the end, we try to, to go to the human. 
so we start the exhibition by displaying a very a very powerful red high heel shoe from an unknown victim deportee. We don't know her name. We don't know uh, her story. We don't know when she arrived. We can, of course, make uh, an educated guess about the, the, the time. But um, there's it, it's very emotional to think that that particular shoe is very likely the only thing remaining, physical thing that remained from from one particular person. And, and in any exhibition, of course, it's about rhythm and rhythm in many cases is repetition so we have a shoe we start with a very powerful red uh, woman shoe but we have then a shoe with a sock in the middle of the exhibition when we explain the process of the extermination at the gas chambers and uh, this is a unique shoe also because you can of course understand how in this case um, probably a little boy uh, went likely with uh, his uh, family uh, into the very um, heart of the of the gas chambers. Um, we have artifacts that are very small, like these ones. We have artifacts that are very big, like a, a section of the barrack in, in Monowitz that allows us to explain many different topics. We have artifacts that relate to the medical experiments, um, we have artifacts that uh, relate to the um, forced work. Um, we have artifacts that relate to food, like bowls and spoons. We have letters, um, rings. And of course, we have many, 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 the, uh, the mass of artifacts that come in this case from Canada, from the section in Auschwitz, where uh, all these belongings from the victims end up. So we have like mirrors and mugs and all these very tiny everyday life artifacts that we hope can make people create a connection to um to to the victims and understand a little bit more of um of the story of Auschwitz. I want to just say one thing here for our listeners to make it clear. The exhibit is about Auschwitz, so it is not a incorrect number when he says over a million were murdered and people might say mm -hmm. well Six million Jews were murdered. Mm -hmm. Here in America, I, I'm speaking as American, I think we tend to think it's Auschwitz or nothing. And so we just need to remind our listeners that this exhibit is on the focus on the best uh, known extermination camp. But there are uh, over five million or four and a half million more Jews were murdered by the Holocaust by bullets, starvation, the ghetto and center, and Roma were murdered, etc. I just want to emphasize, and also I want to repeat, in English, it's the warehouses that were at Auschwitz that collect, I studied this particularly, uh, all the goods that the Jews were made to give up before they were murdered, was Canada with a capital K, and correct me if I'm wrong, I read that that's because people thought people in Canada, inmates in Auschwitz thought that people in Canada were rich, so they named these warehouses, and it was more than one Canada. So that's when he said Canada. He didn't mean Canada. No, correct. It, it was the uh, prisoners had this notion of the land of wealth, thinking yes. of Canada. And of course, this was the section where, um, of course, all these deportees were coming in, in some cases with uh, things that prisoners would consider uh, of, 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 of wealth within the context of the camp. Uh, pieces of, of food, of just clothing, um, you know, all this kind of, of, of material. But, but absolutely, you're, uh, you're right. Of course, I'm speaking 
of, of Auschwitz. And in the case of the exhibition, we also have to say that, um, as you were saying, the Holocaust is much more than what happened in Auschwitz. And Auschwitz is more than the Holocaust. So we also deal um, with uh, with other groups of, of, of victims uh, within the story of, uh, of Auschwitz. So what is the overall goal of the exhibit? If I were to ask you one sentence, what is the overall goal? What would you say? I think it's probably to understand Auschwitz as a location, as a site, uh, and Auschwitz as a metaphor, as a symbol for human barbarism and where uh, ideologies of hatred and um, anti-Semitism can, can take us. Uh, and it's, it's, I would like to say that it's a contribution to that, to that knowledge. It's not a final closed answer or the final closed answer. It's just one more contribution to the better understanding of Auschwitz. And why Auschwitz rather than any of the other uh, possibilities that you could have chosen goes back to Victor Frankl's book, right? Is that is that why you chose that? That that was the initial connection. Absolutely, it was it was through the book, and he he also writes about other camps because he was sent right. to different camps. Right. Uh, he he mentions specifically Auschwitz, and um, you know write a little bit more about that, but he also uh, does so in, in in other camps, and and Auschwitz. Um, has a very powerful uh, it's a very powerful symbol and and therefore um it is it is also the camp where right now we have an institution that is the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum that has done uh, an incredible work in preserving the site so therefore also preserving um a large collection of artifacts that can help us explain the story in in a way that in some other camps is a little bit more uh, more difficult um, Luis, what are the main highlights of the exhibit and, and which parts have resonated the most with uh, the visitors? I would say in terms of the visitors, probably the fact of encountering these original artifacts. And it's a unique opportunity. I mean, it is the first time and um, it's always difficult to say, but I, I, it is a very complex project. So we don't know if we will have a chance to um, to have an, a, tour, a touring exhibition about Auschwitz with such a large collection in the future. So encountering these artifacts, it's what um, brings also the authenticity to the narrative that we have created. Um, and also, I would say the the opportunity to uh, to understand in, in an exhibition a monographic story of Auschwitz. So we, we really go back into the Middle Ages to understand the story of this particular uh, dot on the map and the story of anti-Semitism. Uh, so so it's, it's a comprehensive uh, exhibition. A lot of visitors take two hours, three hours, some people even more uh, to go through the, through the exhibition. And I would, in many ways, it's more a museum than an exhibition because of the scope of its uh, of its narrative, um, so I would say that opportunity to really encounter Auschwitz. Michael Birnbaum, uh, maybe he said this already when when um, when he was part of your poster, but he he always says, and it, it stuck to to my mind that people need to go to Auschwitz, but also Auschwitz need to go to people. So uh, bringing Auschwitz outside of uh, of the museum to people that for one or the other reason will never be able to travel to Poland and go to the memorial. 
it's in a way uh, a unique opportunity. Uh, and, and also, of course, there are many parts in the exhibition that are resonating a lot with, with visitors. Uh, for some people are the artifacts, the personal artifacts, the children artifacts, uh, the section. Uh, it's a very complex area room where we deal with the uh, over 200,000 children, Jewish children that were assassinated in, in Auschwitz. Um, to see these artifacts, to understand the ideology of, of Nazism, to understand the that in that Auschwitz doesn't come up suddenly, even in in X amount of years, it's the gas chambers are just the final step in a very long process of anti-Semitism, and we we go as much as we can into the story of uh, European anti-Semitism, anti-Judaism, anti-Semitism, and uh, to understand all of these process through. You know, to understand that the Nazis didn't really invent much until they actually get into the gas chambers. That all of all the ghettos and the 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 marking and the um, programs. I mean, everything had already been done in centuries in in Europe. Um, of course, just to to really have the chance to understand the story of Auschwitz through artifacts is probably what I would say resonates the most with with visitors. Right. So so visitors get. Um, more than the story about the particular artifacts, they get the whole story of and the history of anti-Semitism as of the Middle Ages, the, the history of, um, and 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 also the, the more of a complete picture of of what happens and how it happens. Absolutely. In, in um, yeah. 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 I mean, it's the exhibit has. It depends on each location, but let's say around 2021 20, rooms. Uh, we don't get to Auschwitz itself as the establishment of a concentration camp until room, I think it's 10 or 11. Uh, so we have a, a very important section that we call before Auschwitz uh, that explains the road of hatred and indifference and lack of moral um, foundations. Uh, that made possible the extermination, that made possible the existence of Auschwitz, of the Holocaust. I think uh, that's, and that's, th those are important lessons for today as well. You know, how, oh, ab absolutely. how could it come that far? Yeah, absolutely. It's educationally speaking, there is not much point in just showing the process of extermination. It's a killing process. It's a technical process. It you know, uh, we, we, we do it, of course, because people need to understand the scope and and uh, and the dehumanization. But uh, you cannot understand that if you don't have the opportunity to understand the process that starts with words, with small prejudice, with uh, and it's it's centuries. Uh, uh, so for us, it was from an educational point of view much more important to be able to um, to display that. And we internally we. Had a, we had this fear. Are we, you know, we will maybe we lose the visitor because they want to to see Auschwitz, and we are not taking them to Auschwitz until almost half of the uh, way through the exhibit. But I think, and um, we know, of course, because we see the reaction and the time people spend in these rooms before Auschwitz, that people actually take the time to understand the whole process, and that is one of the most most important satisfactions that we have with this process is to see that people spend their 
um, two, three hours and that they devote a lot of time to this before Auschwitz area in the exhibit. I can also um, confirm how powerful um, um, the encounter with an object uh, or, or item um, from one item from 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 the life then in those times uh, can be uh, today. Um, I have here the the albums. How do you say the 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 picture? Uh, albums of my of my family and my father put in that um the star of david that he had to wear on his clothes that was a a german regulation in um, mm -hmm. in occupied uh, countries like holland that at some point jews had to be identifiable in public places by wearing a yellow star which said jew in in, in dutch it says jood so when I opened the picture book and I saw that yellow star, it it really it 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 shocked me, you know, it shocked me because I knew the yeah. stories from my parents and it, it somehow it's very shocking to be confronted with those kind of items. I can absolutely say from absolutely. experience, yeah. And I'd like to add a kind of a weird example here in Los Angeles in an exhibit. At the Getty Center, I saw the prayer book that Queen Isabella prayed from. And all I could do was look at it and say, you prayed from this book, and yet you expelled and killed your Jews in 1492. And for me, that was such a powerful moment connecting with history. So I want to emphasize here, am I right? If we went to Auschwitz, we wouldn't see this many artifacts. I mean, you've really brought together an amazing collection is that because I know one of them, Danny Spongeon, I met through yeah. Association. Oh, yeah, Danny, yeah. Holocaust organizations. He's so pleased to be loaning you some of his artifacts. Yeah. I'm correct, right? Never um, has been well, such a collection. I mean, I would say within the Auschwitz Memorial, of course, first of all, the, the site itself is an artifact, you know, and it has such a powerful gravity. And then in their exhibition, what they do display are the masses of artifacts. So, of course, they, they display, I don't know how many, hundreds of shoes and uh, hundreds of glasses and, and tons of hair. And, um, you know, so, so they, they, of course, I would say probably they display many, many more artifacts than, than, than we do. But um, what makes special this exhibition is that, one, of course, it's a touring exhibition, therefore... Not everybody can travel, unfortunately, to to uh, to Ospinchem to visit the memorial, uh, and this is a way to give access to many people around the world to to these artifacts and what's beyond the artifact, the story, the meaning of why we we are doing this. Um, so I would say they are very different experiences. Um, and, and when you are in Auschwitz, those who have visited the memorial, who have been to the site. The site has this incredible weight, gravity that just takes you, and and it's very difficult to to even I guess for the museum and for guides to to go to you know to break through that gravity and 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 take you to the context of you know Germany in between the First World War and the Second World War or centuries of anti-Semitism in 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 Europe. It, it's just 
more complex. We, we don't have the site. We just have fragments of, of the site. And that allows us also then to zoom out uh, when, when appropriate and understand the picture from a certain uh, distance. Very interesting. Well, how are the locations chosen where the traveling exhibit is going? It's a difficult, it's a very complex exhibition. It requires um, space. It requires museum conditions in terms of temperature, security, humidity control. Um, so basically we, um, and we need the institution to believe in the importance of the story that we tell. So I think the first ingredient that is required and it's the most essential one is the commitment of that particular institution to bring the story of Auschwitz to their community. If there is that commitment, if there is that vision, then in comes the technical aspects. And unfortunately, it's not that easy um, because of space and temperature control and all of that. But if you have the first ingredient one way or the other, in one moment or the other, probably we will find a way to to uh, to make it happen. And that was the case of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. Um, you know, in this case, they, they went to Madrid, they went to um, Melissa. Um, um, uh, she went to Madrid, she went to New York, she went to Kansas City, uh, and she always made us feel this institution, the team that is behind the, the uh, institution believes this is a story they need to bring to their community. And, and you know, that is the key for us. That, okay, so if a community, after hearing this podcast, wants to con consider being committed, they reach out to you through the Auschwitz.net website, correct? Correct. Um, we have to say that the exhibit is quite booked until almost 2026. So, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen overnight, but uh, absolutely, if there's any interest in any museum or, or community, they can always reach us out in Musealia and we will just, um, we are always willing to have a conversation and, and check if, uh, if it can be done. Where is it going next? Unfortunately, I cannot tell. Okay. Uh, okay. It, okay. it will be announced in the next uh, probably months. Okay. Okay. Got it. Can Can you tell us about some of the experts uh, who contri who contributed to the exhibit? Yes, absolutely, because they were key and essential to the creation of the of the exhibition. Uh, so, of course, we have, I would say, uh, two different branches uh, of of the experts. One are the the team that we um, we work directly with, independent team of historians, experts, uh, educators, uh, with Robert Jan Van Pell as uh, as lead curator. Um, let me just name quickly all of them because they deserve uh, not only our gratitude but our highest recognition for the for the work they uh, they have done. So. Uh, Robert Jan Pampel, Michael Berenbaum, Paul Sammons, uh, Miriam Greenbaum, and, and Jamel Siniti are the team of, um, of independent um, experts we have worked to create the, the exhibition. And then we have, of course, the other branch of experts, which are the um, historians, researchers, collections manager at the uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum, who, of course, provided us with not only with the collection, but also with the verification of every um, of every uh, 
data and information we have in the in the exhibit. So uh, all of that incredible knowledge uh, came together, and everybody just wanted to to come together and create an exhibition that um, that hopefully could could make an impact in many in many people's life. And um, and I, as I said before, I can only show my gratitude and my recognition for uh, for them. And it has been on a personal aspect, of course, uh, an incredible experience to be able to create with them, to work with them, to meet them and, and, and to become friends with, with them. How do you think that learning about Auschwitz can, in the Holocaust can help combat anti-Semitism today? Well, probably just by, and we try to, to say it in very simple words with the subtitle of the exhibition, understanding that the story that we tell happened not long ago and not far away in the sense that, of course, Auschwitz formed part of our contemporary history. It's in historical terms, it's, it's yesterday. And yeah. it's not far away because the ingredients that made it possible, again, the road that we show in the exhibition, I don't think it's, it's um, nobody can really deny that those risks are still present in our societies and that there are still ideologies of, uh, of hatred. There's a still racing anti-Semitism. There's, um, you know, all those factors are still present in our society. And therefore, um, let me quote Primo Levi, it can, Auschwitz happened and, and therefore it can happen again. And this is the core of what we have to say. He was speaking as a survivor and those words work perfectly well for, for this exhibition and for the mission that it has. That is really a powerful way to end our interview. Yet if there's anything else you want to add, please go ahead before I sign off. I will only I will only show my gratitude for this conversation to you both, Phyllis and, and Evelyn. It was a wonderful conversation. I so much appreciate that you help us to promote the stay of the exhibit in, in California. And I just want to invite everybody to uh, who is listening to us to to just uh, check the website and and consider uh, that it is worth a visit to encounter the story of Auschwitz in um, in an exhibition. And for those of who can't visit, where is the official catalog available? Uh, it will be probably in the website of the uh, museum. Uh, I don't know if they, right now, to be very honest, I don't know if they will have the option to buy it online uh, unless you go to the exhibition, but um, we will try to work that out. And hopefully it is available now that you mentioned, it is available also in some books bookstores uh, across the nation um, and probably also online. I, I, I don't want to say Amazon because I'm not really sure, but I think it's also available on Amazon. Okay. So, that, so uh, we'll look it up on Amazon. I Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a just compelling talk. I'm just so thrilled that you came on. He's talking to us from Spain. I want to thank our listeners. For those of you who have not yet watched Evelyn's a dramatic documentary about anti-Semitism, especially in Europe and now in the United States, please watch Never Again is now on Amazon and YouTube. If you want more information about my free nonfiction Holocaust theater project, go to thinedgeofthewedge.com. And as we end every podcast, we say, without putting yourself in physical harm, whenever you can, please speak up against anti-Semitism and all hate.